Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there. And if you tell your opponent, what do I use on my racket? I use the Mega Tack. You're going to be attacking with that Mega Tack from start to finish. If you've seen anything we do at Cracked Rackets, you know I'm a hairy guy. As you can imagine, I sweat when I play. The only grip that works for me is the Turn of Tennis grip. Of course, the Mega Tack taking things to the next level. How can you get yourself hooked up with a Turn of Grip today? It's simple. You're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods. Or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turner. Once you use a Turner Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today welcome to hey great shot it's the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point for all of you listeners. Now, we appreciate all of you tuning in live who did so knowing that we changed the schedule for this week's show. Of course, last night we were fortunate enough to be able to be on the broadcast for Ohio State against Texas A&M. As such, we move this week's episode of our Women's Division I College Tennis Recap here to Wednesday. Now, rest assured, barring another broadcast, we will be on Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern time each and every week throughout the rest of this college tennis season. You podcast listeners will be able to hear this every Wednesday throughout the course of the college tennis season. Season, but the change in schedule due to the additional broadcast on our Crack Rackets channel, of course, we are always happy to have the opportunity to promote and highlight all things happening in the college tennis world. So we do apologize for the delay in this week's show, but as always, another spectacular week of college tennis results to discuss. Of course, we have conference play in certain sectors of the country, NCAA significant results in the others, plenty for us to discuss on today's show. And if you're going to be chatting about the Division I women's college tennis world, there is only one guest you can turn to to help you do just that. He's the guest we have each and every week on these episodes of The Deciding Point, the man joining me once again today, a man you know best as the founder of the No Ad No Problem blog, your co-favorite writer on our website, CrackRackets.com, our West Coast college tennis correspondent, and of course, returning champion, John J. Parsons. Jay, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? 
I'm good. Staying flexible for these different days. We did the, the pre-record on Monday. We're now doing Wednesday. I'm just waiting till we boot Chris and Matt and take over the Thursday time slot as well. Um, but I'm doing good. Um, lots of college tennis action and excited to be here. I'm not going to make any annex jokes because there's serious stuff going on in the world. If you want the Thursday show, just give them the boot. It's yours. (laughs) I will happily sell you the ammunitions to do just that. Yeah. Again, I appreciate your flexibility. I appreciate your willingness to, of course, talk about all of the latest and greatest action because there is so much for us to recap here on today's show. Of course, in particular, SEC conference play underway. Got to take note of all of the action sorting through the SEC. I will also point out, I just finished recording our first SEC-specific weekly podcast. That's something we're going to be doing every week in correspondence with our Friday Red Zone broadcast. Of course, you can find those SEC broadcasts every Friday throughout the day on all of the various team websites. I believe we have 12 more matches here this Friday. So men's, women's, college tennis action, if you're interested you tune into that on Fridays. Of course, we'll have Big Ten specific matchups uh, podcasts as well to help correspond with all of our Big Ten matches we're showing on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. That's all day on Sunday and conference play about to get underway. Of course, we've also got Baylor at Michigan on the men's side this Sunday. So plenty of fun action. We hope you all will tune in too. Again, you're going to be able to find those weekly podcasts as just podcasts on the Great Shot podcast feed. But we want to give you guys a little bit more context in case you're a first-time college tennis fan, you want to know, well, what exactly am I watching each and every weekend? Help explain that for you. And again, something the conference asks us to do as well, which we are happy to do. So be on the lookout for those. And if you want to hear in-depth analysis, I suppose, of the SEC or Big Ten, tune into those shows specifically. But we'll talk about the big results always here on The Deciding Point. We'll talk about the best of the rest of the results, talk about some rankings news, some Big 12 news, offer our own rankings, look at the week ahead, and so much more. Of course, the reason we are able to do that day in, day out, week in, week out here at Crack Rackets is because of the support we get from so many, whether it be you, the listeners, or whether it be our sponsors. And of course, here on The Deciding Point, we are immensely grateful for the support we get from our friends at Swing Vision. It's artificial intelligence for your tennis, the easiest way to get better folks in the near term. There's one way to do it. You download the Swing Vision app here today. All you got to do every time you play, set up your phone on the back fence, on the back curtain. It'll record your hitting session. It'll break down your film for you. All of that in one location at a pretty cheap price. That sounds like a win to me. Of course, you can learn more about Swing Vision by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast. Once you do inevitably sign up, use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get $20 off plus a 14-day pro trial. Again, a huge thank you to our friends at Swing Vision for their support. Learn more by clicking on that link in the description to this podcast or just download it on your phone today. A shout out as well to our friends at Turnup, who we are so excited to bring back here as a supporter of this Great Shot podcast because look, Turner Grip's good enough for my sweaty hands, and I'm always sweating, whether it be the podcast, whether it be on the court, you name it, it's happening. Turner works for me. And if it can handle this, it can handle you. So I promise you, folks, there's a reason all these pros, all these college tennis players, juniors players are using Turner products, whether it's grips, whether it's strings, so much more, you name it, they've got it. You can contact them and join the team by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. Let them know we sent you. You'll get free samples. You'll get discounted prices. Thank you to our friends at Turna. Email sales at uniquesports.com to learn more. With all that said, 
we are officially a show if we've got double plugs to start here at the top, Jay. Feels like, again, something, shout out to the support we're seeing across the tennis world for college tennis. But we got a lot to discuss here today. So let's get to it. And unfortunately, again, no coaching interview for all of you listeners. Now, the good news is we've had, we've solved our technology issues for the meantime. So I can record podcasts on Zoom again, and we'll be able to get those as interviews for all of you listeners. That is a guaranteed, not a guarantee, a Rashid Wallace guaranteed here for all of you listeners. Next week, we will be back on that grind here on this show. But don't worry, we still got at least an hour of content to break down here today. And let's start with a little bit of rankings instead of result news. Of course, now we've switched to the point where we're at the ITA computer rankings. And, you know, we've talked about the ITA computer rankings early in the season, why only, you know, counting three wins significantly up to four wins, five wins, six, seven, et cetera, throughout the course of the season, how that's going to skew things early on. Certainly you could argue early results because we don't have the big sample size skew things individually, but we have some history on our hands. And that's where I want to start today's show. Daria Freeman, the superstar player for Princeton. She becomes the first Ivy League women's uh, tennis player in history to reach the number one ranking in the country. Now her Princeton Tigers, they're four and nine overall. And we can talk about them in the second and why we were right or wrong about them, whatever frame of mind you want to take here uh, momentarily. But let's acknowledge the history. Daria Freeman, First number one in Ivy League uh, in Ivy League conference history. Those things matter. It's a testament to the fall she put together. Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, it's also a testament to how important the fall is for these results, right? I mean, Daria Freeman ascends to the number one position, number one ranking in the country, yet she hasn't played since January. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's an incredible testament to uh, what you can achieve at these Ivy Leagues, right? We're starting to see a lot more blue chip recruits, juniors from the U.S. going to Ivy Leagues, um, really valuing that education. Obviously, Daria Freeman, not from the U.S., but still under understanding the value of a Princeton degree. So it's a huge testament to um, the, the, the Princeton program, Daria Freeman herself. But I'm a little bit of two minds here. And the, the, the second part of this is, yes, congratulating Daria Freeman. But you said it best. These rankings matter. And I want to make sure we get them right. There are two yeah. things that I find really important about these rankings it's the selection and seating for the NCAA tournament. And then it is things like celebrating historical land um, landmarks sure. like Daria Freeman. And we need to evolve to a ranking system that better does both of those things, because as more and more players either, you know, play more in the fall and less in the spring or to many of these top players play none in the fall and struggle to get wins in the spring as matches go unfinished. I want a ranking system that really does portray who is the best player during that that period of time yeah I, I think that's completely fair now daria Freeman, finalist at the national fall championships and earned yep. a bunch of good wins throughout the course of the fall i remember watching her i believe she beat connie ma right in that uh national fall championship yep. run um Look, she's as good as anyone in the country when she's playing her best tennis. But again, you look for this Princeton team who falls to four and nine now overall on the season as they headed out west this past weekend. A loss 6-1 at Pepperdine. No shame in that. A 5-2 loss at San Diego. That's really going to hurt them come NCAA tournament time. And again, they probably will get the conference bid 
from the Ivy League. Do conference bid does conference bid trump 500 rule? I think it does, right? If you get the conference bid, you ultimately end up going. I think it has to. Yeah, I believe right. so. And you look for them, you know, again, they're four and nine on the season, three of their wins, four over Cornell, four over Columbia, four over Harvard. And they've got an Ivy League schedule pretty much, I think, exclusively remaining other than a match against ODU at home, yep. which is just going to be a fascinating match and a big chance. Well, you thought it might be a big chance for ODU to gain some points here in March, less so now given Princeton's struggles. But here's the big thing, and you mentioned it. We haven't seen Freeman since January. Brianna Schwetz, who I think it's pretty public now, will be headed to Duke, if not next year. I think it's the year after that, whenever she's able to graduate from Princeton and be eligible. You know, we haven't seen that much of her. We haven't seen that much Vicky Who, and just across the board, this Princeton team has not been healthy. And so the wor- the sad thing is, had they been healthy from the start of the season, I think this could have happened like on its own merits because they played a really good schedule, right? They had Oklahoma's Oklahoma States of the world. She would have had shots at the Sleeths or at the time a Corley sister and, you know, had all these chances to earn some serious ranked wins. And unfortunately it's just been a really tough season for the Tigers. Well, are you talking about Freeman's uh, ascent to number one, what happened on its own merits? I think it could have. Like oh. with the, with the non-conference schedule that Princeton played, right? If she goes undefeated through all those matches, even if the team loses, she'd have been in the mix. Sure. Um, but she hasn't been undefeated in the dual season, right? And sure. actually, I would argue that not playing has helped her. She's not taking any losses and all the wins in the fall still count towards her ranking. And so- I agree with you. What I'm saying is had those losses turned into va- like it, it's an unknown because she didn't play. I guess is my argument. That's the glass half full take here. It's like this could have happened for Freeman had she played a really good start to her dual match season. But sure. oh yeah, she, I mean absolutely. Just yeah, with I'm that, saying with, yeah. that that was that was my argument is that this could have happened anyways. But it but it obviously didn't happen under the ideal circumstances. Yeah, no, no, absolutely right. She's clearly a top player in the country. She proved that in the fall. Um, but just what a disappointing season for Princeton. And this is a team with so much talent. But when you're not fielding three of your top four players for almost match in, match out since January, you're going to have these sorts of results. And so fortunately for them, you know, they get to go through the Ivy League, which doesn't have as many strong teams this year. But if they're not fielding, again, Freeman, Vicky Hugh, Brianna Schvet, So Howard, they might not be your conference champion in the Ivy League. No Schvetz, no uh, Freeman this weekend. 5-2 loss for them at San Diego. San Diego's good, right? They're a top 35 team. They will be in the NCAA tournament, but it's tough. I mean, again, Princeton is not going to be seeded well. Like, they'll be at Virginia or Duke or one of those, you know, East Coast teams probably as the four seed. And I'll say this, if they're healthy and you see Freeman and you see Schvetz and you see who and you see Howard – all of a sudden, you're like, "Are we serious? Yeah, like, that's how a disaster. This yeah, that is a disaster <laughs> looming for some team come the NCAA tournament and a storyline for us to continue to monitor." But there's your rankings news. There's your history. And again, we haven't locked in too deeply on the ITA rankings yet, or the rankings in general. Simply put, we talked about this last show. It's just early. Like we're two weeks away, a week away, two weeks away, two weeks away. Once conference play is one week underway everywhere. Now we're serious. Now and now you got to start counting matches and counting victories because the finish line is in sight and we'll start getting into those things as those 
sorts of uh, deadlines approach. But let's move on now to our next topic here. And, you know, this is a conference play that has begun. And certainly as you look in the SEC, things getting interesting. Let's talk about a team in Tennessee that was certainly in contention for a top 16 seed. You look for this Tennessee team early on in the season, they beat you know, they earned a bunch of good victories, a win, you know, or their only losses being to NC State and to Ohio State coming into this past weekend. Those were two of the top five ranked teams over the course of the past weekend. This Tennessee team's got a bunch of depth everywhere across the board. And as you look for Tennessee again, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Martena at the top spot, McGriffin, Kutzer, just across the board, they've got a ton of talent. Uh, but as we look here for this Tennessee team, uh, oh, I completely went out of order and I apologize, Super Producer Daniel Westoff, you're right, I missed a spot here. Uh, but I do think as we look at the SEC more broadly and, you know, this was sort of a pecking order sort of thing. And you saw for Tennessee, you know, they they dropped their match to South Carolina, they dropped their match to Florida. Uh, you look you know, in the SEC conference, again, perhaps more pressingly, Georgia, Texas A&M starting to make their rise as well at the top of the conference. Let's look at the SEC here and let's start at the top. What do you make of Georgia, Texas A&M? And just, you know, again, as you as it says here, I think they have started to break away from the pack. What say you? Yeah, I mean, I think um, certainly of note, you know, Georgia's second weekend of SEC play, right? They kind of swept through the Mississippi Mississippi schools that first weekend. And I thought they looked really dominant against South Carolina and Florida this past weekend. I mean, the way that they, uh, you know, steamrolled through Florida, which is a, a rivalry match. I thought they looked really impressive there, particularly in comparing their score lines to Texas A&M as well, comparing those shared opponents. To me, based on the results so far that we've seen in the SEC, it's clear that these are the top two teams. And then you brought up Tennessee. Number three feels like anyone's ball game. Maybe it was Tennessee, maybe not after this weekend, right? But overall, really impressed with Georgia's weekend slate. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about the results today as well. Well, Chris and I talked about Auburn a lot on our SEC weekly podcast. And again, you'll be able to hear that first episode tomorrow, but they're the highest ranked SEC team right now, 12 and two, number seven in the country in the latest edition of the ITA rankings. And they're not beating teams 4-0, but they are beating teams. You look across the board for this Auburn roster, they have had a ton of success just about everywhere. And, you know, obviously you look at a Texas A&M team, that's what, 18 and one. And, you know, if one line call goes differently at the national indoors there, I've said this on another podcast, this is the new North Carolina was going to win 2020 NCAA take. I think they beat Pepperdine at the national indoors. I think this team Makarova at two is as good as anyone. Goldsmith at four, you just feel so great about. Stoyana, Pilot, the two freshmen have fit in so well early for AM. And then you've got Brandstein, uh, Brandstein, excuse me, sitting at the top of your lineup, who on the right day will outpower just about anyone. And she's going to be in every match she plays. And, you know, again, for this AM team thus far, it's how routine they've made everything look. And, you know, it looked like they might get tested this past weekend and they ultimately earned a 5 2 win at Ole Miss, but ultimately it was 5 2 at Ole Miss. They earned that victory. And, you know, the Georgia matchup's coming up later in the season, but you look for this Texas AM team, you know, it's their ODU USC wins at the national indoors aren't going to be the most valuable come May, given the way things have trended. And so them making a push for the top eight seed, they really need to run the gauntlet here. 
in the SEC. They really need to beat the Floridas, beat the ten, you know, beat uh, the Tennessees of the world, beat all you know the Arkansas, the Alabamas, and then they need to beat a Georgia team who today earns a 4-0 victory over number four Ohio State. 7 7-0. 7-0 overall. I appreciate yep. that. They played it out just for you. Um, indoors in Georgia. Again, indoors though. This Georgia team, this was only their 10th match of the season. They had, you know, lost 4-3 to Virginia. They lose a 4-3 match to NC State. Two really tight battles at the national indoors. And that was the tough thing for the SEC. Yeah, they got a couple of teams in, but Florida drops their matches to Ohio State and Virginia. And, you know, uh, Georgia goes 1-2 on the weekend. Auburn 1-2 on the weekend. Them making a push for the top eight seed, you feel like someone might have to run the gauntlet. And when you look at this Georgia team, you know, before the season, I was doubting them. And we talked about this privately because I just, you know, Riasco was solid. Ma's very good, but two solid options at the top two. Just that's going to be tough when you look at the best of the best in college tennis this season. What I didn't realize is how freaking good Bean Minova is, the freshman at number three. And her presence there and the le- her legitimate presence there allows you to play Kowalski, Kopik, and Hurdle in your bottom three. And now all of a sudden you've got depth everywhere. You've got a chance to win everywhere. It sucks that we've only seen them play 10 matches, but this, this Ohio State match was the signature victory they need to just remind everyone this Georgia team is as good as any, you know, on the right day, as good as any team in the country. Yeah. And let's be clear about Vidmanova. Not, not only did we not just realize it, we didn't even know that she was coming. <laughs> right. So she was a January admit and wow, has she looked super impressive. I think she's still only lost the one match at indoors. She's winning almost all of her matches in straight sets. The performance today against Ohio state for the entire team was impressive. And we're going to play good win, bad loss a little bit later. This would unequivocally go in the good win category for Georgia. They were just awesome. Yeah, no, this was the statement win that they were looking for. They didn't get those out of conference, you know, wins that they're that you want at indoors. And I mean, Ohio State top five team right now. This is huge for Georgia's ranking. And I just thought they looked really impressive. I assume Georgia would have hoped to play this match outdoors. Uh, you know, rain did not allow for that. So they end up playing indoors. And they go and they lose one set. And that one set is Leah Ma to Irina Contos, who's looked incredible this season. Leah Ma pulls off the upset. So, I mean, up and down the lineup, just incredibly impressive from the, this Georgia team who, to me, we had questions, but it, it seems pretty clear that the talent is there, that they're a top 10 team. And assuming they run the table in the SEC, even if they lose to a Texas A&M, I still think they're in the contention for a top eight seed. Yeah, and look... In Ma, you have one of the steadiest players in the country. You know exactly what you're going to get match in, match out. And sometimes, you know, the Navarros of the world may overpower her. And, you know, again, Contos, I think, took the first set in that match, if memory serves me correct, here today. And so who knows what that match looks like if the scoreline's a little bit different. But what it proves is Ma is always in the fight. How complete Riasco is as a player and a lefty as well at that number two spot. I just love the freshman's upside there. But I honestly think the biggest weapons of the bunch belong to Villamanova at three. And just like you feel like you can go two and one in the top three against any school. And that's the ultimate luxury because you have Kopic at four, Gonzalez at five, and Hurdle, who has looked much more comfortable at the number six spot. Kowalski. Uh, uh, oh, is it? 
did I say Gonzalez? It's yeah. yeah I apologize. Mike Kowalski instead of Marta Gonzalez. See again, my Georgia players are all mixed up. It was, it was Gonzalez who was in the bottom of the lineup with them last yep. year to have Kowalski Kopic, and hurdle as your bottom three. You feel good about them. You feel like we can go two and one in those three matches. And we haven't even talked about doubles where they're still experimenting, but they win a good doubles point today and they win it at the top two spots over an Ohio State team that, in my opinion, has two top 30 doubles teams in Allen and Boulay and in Contos and Ratliff. And so they did at- split Allen and Boulay today, though, which was oh, very did they? Yeah. Interesting. Bold yeah. move. Uh, so, again, when you look on the flip side, A&M's got options everywhere. You know, their freshmen are fi- at the bottom of the lineup, which is interesting because they're going to play Georgia seniors. On the flip side, you know, the youth for Georgia – is going up against Goldsmith and, you know, it's going up against Makarovas of the world. It's going up against the, the big hitters. Give me which of those teams right now. A, do you think both of those teams can be top eight seeds? B, who would you take right now? Oh, I think Georgia can be with this Ohio state win, right? If they run the table and this Ohio state team, I mean, they racked up that Pepperdine win. They're going to rack up more wins in the big 10. Um, they had a few two SEC wins. Ohio State did it indoors, so they're not going anywhere. So that that Georgia win over them is gonna gonna stay strong throughout the rest of the season. If Georgia runs the table, there's no doubt they're a top eight seed. Mm-hmm. You ready for these numbers? This is fun though. Goldsmith thirteen and two overall in dual matches. Makarova thirteen and 0, 10 and zero at the two spot. Pilot thirteen and three overall. Morales ten and four overall. Stoyana. 13 and one overall. They are 87 and 16 in individual singles flights. That's an 85% win percentage. 38 and four in individual doubles flights. It's a 91% win percentage. These two teams, I think, have distinguished themselves at the top. And of course, again, when you look here for Texas A&M, uh, their ability, they go 5-2 over Ole Miss on the road, 7-0 over, in my opinion, a better Mississippi State team than the ranking would reflect, just more experienced than you would think. At the same time, tough weekend and tough start for the Mississippis. That's something Chris and I discussed on the SEC show. You look for Georgia, 4-1 over South Carolina, 4-1 indoors against Florida, and now they back it up with the most impressive of all, a 7-0 win over uh, this Ohio State team. Not only will Georgia, talking to Chris, they're number 10 in next week's rankings as of right now before any matches have been played. But, you know, again, you get the win over Florida. Now you're, you know, you've got Tennessee still left on the board, A&M, sure, but now you're back in the driver's seat. Now you're back where you belong. Now you're back in the conversation. Certainly A&M's there. I do think those two are on a tier of their own, like with all due respect to Auburn, right? Like Auburn, Florida, I think that's all we're talking there because then I think there's a little bit of a drop-off and we'll get to that those other schools later. I would say right now those two are on a tier of their own, but I do think A&M's on that tier. With Georgia. Yeah, right? Yeah. I, like A&M deserves it despite not playing the most rigorous schedule. Yeah, I mean, some of those records are ridiculously gaudy. Inflated. But it's yeah, an you inflation gotta... <laughs> season right now, Jay. It, that's true across the board. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's right. I think those are the two tiers, right? Georgia A&M, Florida Auburn. I think both Georgia and A&M will be very happy to see Auburn at, at seven so they can get that top 10 win potentially. Um, but overall, I think we're starting to see the SEC start to come into formation a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It's fun to see the conference play underway. And of course, that's not the only place that happened. Let's move now to the Big 12 and talk about what happened. State of Oklahoma won. State, oh, I should say State of Oklahoma four. 
State of Kansas zero. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, who now find themselves in the top 10 of the ITA rankings, uh, they earn sweeps of Kansas and Kansas State. And, you know, you look for this Oklahoma team even beyond looking at the results. And they have had some lineup switches that I want to talk about, but perhaps the most pertinent lineup switch, the addition of Dana Guzman who's back in their doubles lineup. Now, we haven't seen her play singles yet, but we get do get to see her debut over the course of the past weekend. And, of course, you look for this Oklahoma team overall in the rankings in the latest iteration. Oklahoma currently sitting at number three. They've been surpassed by NC State. Now, of course, in the voters poll, they're at number two, and they've been at number two in our Crack Rackets poll for the past few weeks as well. But, again, one might look- say they're tier 1B. <laughs> We'll get into that in a second. But again, you look for this Oklahoma team who I believe, yeah, 4-1 over Kansas State, 4-1 over Kansas as well. Let's start there. Corleys have switched around a bit. You know, uh, it's interesting. Sleeth, it does feel like, has that grip hold at the number one spot for now. And you can understand why Coach Cohen, who is, you know, why she gravitates towards that grinding nature of Sleeth, who just will take a set against anyone but Kansas has worked their way into the top 35, and that's a really good 4-1 win. And again, let's start with the Oklahoma piece here. You know, Staker still looks good. Shanta still looks good. We still don't see Guzman in singles. This team's clearly got it. Where are you at with them? Yeah, I mean, they continue to look good. I mean, the Guzman was a huge addition. I mean, that's, that's massive for them. Um, even if she is just in doubles for the next month, Right. If they can get her back in the singles lineup, this is a player who was 19 and two last year, primarily at the number two position, joined them in January. If she's anywhere in the singles lineup, that's a massive impact for them. So it was just great to see her healthy. Great to see her in doubles. I would say, you know, Corley's plus Pisareva. There are some vulnerabilities there. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see if we do see Guzman back in singles. Where does she slot in? How does that change things? Because they've been riding with this top six, you know, basically the entire season. Well, that's the thing, though, is they can afford to work her in slowly. Yes. And because you don't feel, you know, if if this is your six, well, you just made the national indoor finals with them. Like, you feel good about this six no matter what. And again, the Corleys, you know, Ivana, I don't want to say she's come back to earth. But I don't think you can ask anyone to replicate an 8-0 weekend like she had at the National Indoors each and every weekend she plays. That said, Sleeth, Corley, Corley, if that's your top three at the NCAA tournament, well, we saw what they just did. And I'd probably go, you know, Sleeth, Carmen, Ivana. Pisareva, Staker, Shanta, throw them anywhere. I feel good about all three of those players regardless of position. I feel like there's a lot of parity in that bottom half of the lineup. And again, if you keep waiting for Oklahoma to blink, and they're, you know, like last year, Tennessee, I think, lost at Arkansas on the men's side. And that was the kind of like, wait, wait a second. Is the Tennessee bubble bursting? And then it was like, no, it didn't. Don't worry. We're fine. I actually think for Oklahoma, well, I don't know if, an, uh, if you know, Coach Cohen's going to pop the bubble on her own, right? Like her teams don't need that extra motivation. She'll keep them motivated. I do wonder if that loss is going to come for this team because they have just looked so good. And like, you know, again, if they run the table, in the Big 12, they are your co-favorites with whomever you want to put next to them, but they are just as likely as anyone to win this NCAA tournament if they can sustain this level of success because this is what an elite team looks like, what this Oklahoma team is doing. 
I mean, yeah, that would be super impressive, particularly with the strength of the Big 12, right? Texas, Oklahoma State, Iowa. And there's just like a ton of teams in the Big 12 that on any given day could knock off this Oklahoma team. Particularly, it could be when they start um, putting Guzman back in the singles lineup and maybe she suffers a lot, right? Loss, right? Like there's a lot of variables here. So overall, though, I mean, it's all upside for this Oklahoma team. They're continuing to look strong, you know. I would potentially see a straight line replacement with Guzman and Pisareva to start. It's just my opinion, but um, overall, I mean, it's, it's all upside. They're they're still looking good. They're still looking strong. Um, I thought the way that they handled both the Kansas teams was impressive. Here's the thing, though. It's like oh, Pisareva has not underperformed in comparison to Shanta or uh, to Staker. It's like. I mean, it's just like a tough call to make. I agree with you. I think Shanta's got a little bit more pop. I just like that Staker can Staker at six just makes sense. Like just put a bow on that position. That's what you should have at the NCAA tournament. But you're not going to not include a healthy Guzman. It's a really tough lineup choice. It's a good one to have. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do because you look on the Oklahoma State side, you know, for this Oklahoma State team, 4-0 over Kansas State, 4-1 over, again, a Kansas team with, a top two that can compete with anyone yep. in the country. And I think Kansas does drop off a bit as you get towards uh, near the bottom of their lineup in particular, in comparison to this Oklahoma state team who is still playing without a lot of Wolfsburg and singles. And yet you wonder to yourself again, why is Oklahoma state in the top 10? Well, it's because their only loss was at Ohio state playing without two of their starters or they're, you know, again, early in the season. And they've just, they've pretty much rolled ever since. Yeah, I mean, the list of victories that they have uh, over teams ranked like 15 through 35. I mean, you just like go down the list. They've basically played everybody. They've only lost to Ohio State. Like, again, how can you knock them? No, you no, you can't. And that's why I was excited to see this matchup, particularly against Kansas, right, who had had a strong showing against ODU, knocked them off. And look, beat Northwestern. Beat Northwestern. I, I mean, fair to say that Oklahoma State looked just as impressive uh, over the Kansas schools as Oklahoma. So, you know. They're looking really strong. I am interested to, about Alana Wolfberg, who hasn't played singles. We did see her dabble in singles at the Blue Gray. Didn't see her in singles this weekend. So that's a variable worth watching for sure. Is it a three-headed race for the Big 12 Conference? Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State. Do you consider them all on the same tier? How would you differentiate? No, I think it's... At this point, I think Oklahoma is a tier above Texas, who is a tier above Oklahoma State. Who is a tier above everyone else? The Baylors, is- the Texas Techs, the Iowa States of the world? Yes. I think Iowa State can fight its way. In- oh, well, okay. As we look at the NCAA tournament, top eight seeds, Oklahoma's going to get one. Do only one of Texas, Oklahoma State get one? As in, is there only space for one of them? No, I think there's space for two. Because Interesting. I think, I think one of the Texas or Oklahoma State team is going to get either one win right over the other or potentially two uh, if they knock off Oklahoma. And I think that will be enough to solidify them into the top, the top eight. I do think Oklahoma state needs a win over Oklahoma more than Texas does um, because Oklahoma state doesn't have that top five, top 10 caliber win that will really vault you into the top eight. I agree with you. I think it's going to be really interesting. And again, Texas tech has taken some, They've had an up and down season. I think there's a lot of talent there, but from a top eight perspective, you needed Tech, Baylor, 
Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Texas, probably all to be top 25 schools. If you're going to get multiple top eight seeds, you know, and even beyond two, you almost assuredly need it. They don't have that right now, but more, I mean, the answer is Oklahoma. So I'm not even going to ask the question. Oklahoma is probably going to have a significantly better record against Texas in all their matches, TCU, Texas Tech, Baylor, University of Texas. I bet Oklahoma ends up significantly above 500 at the end of this season. And again, that's a credit to coach young coach Cohen who have their programs rolling over in Oklahoma. Oh, you were talking about the state. Yeah. The state of Oklahoma. <laughs> I was like, exactly. yes, I think Oklahoma will finish well. No, above 500. The, yes. The state of Oklahoma. I get it. Versus yeah, the state get, of Texas. It, which is a I thing, it. right? It's like Michigan versus Ohio, yeah. Florida versus civilization, all these different things. Let's go West though. Now to your home country, California, of course, LA knocks off Arizona. And it's a good weekend, a much freaking needed weekend for the USC Trojans 4-0 over Arizona, 4-1 over Arizona state. You look for UCLA, same scores, 4-0 over Arizona, 4-1 over Arizona state. The biggest news on the board, Naomi Chung is back and she gets a win at number four was winning at number five. When the match was clinched, Cayetano down to the number two spot, but she gets two victories on the weekend as well. Come to Jesus is a little bit hyperbolic, but is this the, I mean, is this the turn? Is this like the inflection point when we look back and USC's back in the sweet 16? Is it like, this was the weekend they got it rolling. I mean, it could absolutely be right. It could be, and it needed to be, it needs to be. And it could be that Naomi Chung, you know, yes, she's a great player. Yes. She'll play that linchpin role in this lineup who has really been missing like a solid number four player, but it could also just be, like a rebirth of the team, if you will. Right. Just like bring some new energy, a breath of fresh air. Uh, the team feels more confident. The team feels more motivated. Look, both these Arizona schools are, are strong schools this year, uh, arguably on the caliber of LMUs and UCSBs who have knocked off, um, you know, these LA schools. So, I mean, really needed victory for USC in particular, um, and it, this could be the inflection point, and it would it would be good to see that because the um this the run of losses they were on was tough to watch. Who do you feel better about the four through six of UCLA or USC? Oh, UCLA. And tell me why. I don't think USC has answers of five and six. So tell me about the growth you've seen from the Trojans at the bottom of the lineup, because obviously the big news. Forbes and Bolton are playing like Forbes and Bolton again yes. at the top of their lineup. And obviously yep. that's most important. And Bagramov has always had, you know, the ability to play very high level tennis. She has of late in particular, yep. but there are still a lot of questions beyond those three. How has UCLA gone about answering? I think, well, I mean, <laughs> there's like different tales of the, this UCLA sure. squad, right? Like in the past few weeks, I think they've looked really good up and down the lineup. I think there's been closer matches from their freshmen at the bottom of the lineup. Um, oftentimes they have pulled through and that's the sort of stuff that you're looking for, for these freshmen at UCLA who, unlike the USC freshmen, haven't really gone through as many matches this year, right? They didn't make indoors um, so ultimately I think there's more upside on the UCLA bottom four, five, and six. Um, obviously having Naomi Chung back for USC really helps and you like her at four, probably over whoever UCLA fields at four, but, um, I'm more optimistic and bullish about the growth trajectory, if you will, 
of the UCLA freshmen than I have been of the USC freshmen who also appear to be struggling with injuries as well, uh, which is not a good sign. No, Piper, Mora just haven't played consistently enough for me exactly. to feel any way about them. Yeah, I mean, again, if that's going to be a really fun matchup when they play for the 17th time this year, UCLA and USC, because Forbes, you know, Forbes, Bolton versus Ewing and Cayetano is just fireworks at the top of the lineup. Vagramov versus Hans is going to be really fun as well. Then who knows what's going to happen after that. But again, huge weekend for USC. And UCLA has reminded everyone after a disastrous start to the season, A, Washington's a lot better. Now, or, you know, we, you know, context being key, still not the greatest loss, but not an inexcusable loss. I have no idea what's going on with the Trojans. I still, you know, again, keeping an eye on them and obviously UCSB very good as well. Um, But, you know, again, you're feeling a lot better. I think these teams have slowly continued to keep themselves in the top 16 hunt. Now, top eight, probably out of the question for either school. But top 16, very much in the mix. And ultimately, that's what matters because a super regional, yeah, those are tough, but those matches are tough no matter what site you're playing at. And so, you know, being able to host that first weekend, really the key, I think, for both of these schools. But with that said, let's hop around a bit because there are, again, so many results for us to touch on throughout the course of a weekend. I want to do this by talking about our best of the rest in a format we have now introduced here. On our deciding point, something we call a game of good win, bad loss, as we talk about all of these results. And we referred to some of them a bit earlier, mostly because I screwed up reading my outline, but I want to go through some of them here and get your comments. Let's start with Auburn, Auburn Arkansas, Jay. Uh, Auburn, Alabama, excuse me. You look for the Tigers, 5-2 win over Alabama. Uh, you know, you look for this Auburn team now, 12-2 and two in the SEC uh, overall, and you know, you look at their records outside of the number one spot where I believe they're six and six, they're like 11 and two and 10 and three and three of their, you know, five other single spots. And, you know, you look for them in doubles. I think they've won about 75% of their individual double sets as well. And again, they played Ohio state really close at the national indoors. They played NC state really close at the national indoors. They're the third best team as we discussed right right now in the sec. And I think, you know, all their tough matches are, at the end of the season, it's backloaded, but they could be like 17 and two with Georgia AM, like those matches to play. We could be saying, Hey, Auburn ran the gauntlet. They're your top eight seed. Yeah, that is interesting. It's funny how some of these teams have such a front loaded schedule and you look at Auburn yeah. and it's basically all backloaded, all April matches. So they're going to stay most likely in that top 10 position for quite a few weeks here. I thought this was a good win for them. Obviously iron bowl victory rivalry match, um, Alabama, surprisingly, we talked about this last week has started out pretty strong. So I thought they continued to look good. They continue to be able to find answers, uh, across the board. And, you know, it's a little bit of a tease because I'm like, okay, let's get the Auburn, Florida, Auburn, Georgia matches this weekend, please. Uh, we got to weather wait a little bit. It's fair to ask. And again, you look for this Auburn team. They're just pretty good in just about every spot. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's a good win. Auburn, I would agree with you. Now, Alabama is pretty good as well. And I'm forgetting the last name of the sisters that they have in their lineup. But I think the two and six or five singles positions, but they've got depth everywhere. They're pretty good at doubles. And, you know, well, let's just talk about this quickly. Vanderbilt loses to Bama, loses to Arkansas, loses to Auburn. 
0-3 to start the SEC season. They're in you know, danger of dropping outside the NCAA tournament cutoff line, and they've still got AM, they've still got Georgia, they've still got Florida, they've still got Tennessee. It's not going to get any easier. They're not at panic button mode yet, but they're pretty damn close to it. Yeah, we had this conversation last week, right? It's yeah. it's it's tough. Um I, there's not much more to add other than third like, set losses too. Although Arkansas has been pretty good. Like that's the flip side, the glass. Of, you know what? We'll get back to this match in a second. Uh, let's go now to Tennessee who I brought up earlier. Oh, and two weekend for them. Let's start with the South Carolina results, South Carolina, knocking off the volunteers for one victory for them. I'm going to go good win here for South Carolina. Hamner, Ackley, healthy, playing their best at the one and two spot, but it's everywhere else. It's Davies. It's the entire lineup. Tennessee's good everywhere. I don't know if they're exceptional anywhere, and that's not to be rude to the players on their team. Again, they can beat a Florida, a Georgia, a Texas A&M on the right day, just as likely as they are to lose as they did in this match here uh, to South Carolina. I think they are a very good team. This, for me, is South Carolina waking up and saying, hey, remember when everyone thought we could be a sneaky great team this year? This was why. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, I thought Tennessee was going to have the season Auburn is having. right? Not top seven, right? But like that team. That's that's actually a great call, Jay. This is why you have to be here. Thank you. Um, Just one of those teams who are like, yeah, up and down the board, you know, Martena at the top of the lineup, McGiffin, like they can compete everywhere. You know, it's it's a good win for South Carolina who has had, um, tough sledding with injuries. Obviously, they lose freshman um, Gratowski for the for the whole season. That hurts them. Um, but this is also a bad loss for Tennessee. And I think it's a bad loss because when you look at that South Carolina lineup, you should be able to concede Hamner and Ackley. Maybe you get one. But if we're going to say that you're good up and down the lineup, like Tennessee should be taking those matches at four, five, and six uh, in a way that they weren't able to against either South Carolina or Florida, but particularly South Carolina when it comes to the depth of that lineup. I'm blanking on the Tennessee three right now. She's played really well of late. Um, It'll come back to me. I'll look it up as we get to the next match. You look forward 4-1 for Florida over Tennessee. I think, again, that's a really good win for the Gators. Yeah, it is a good win for the Gators, um, right? They're going to be battling for that three spot here in the SEC you know, they have looked really good. I thought McCartney Kessler has continued to look good, um, struggled a little bit at indoors. But again, this is a Tennessee team that we thought was going to be right in here with these Florida teams. And it's a tough weekend for them to go 0-2. Adashina is who I was thinking of at four. I think she's looked good and she got their win over Florida. But yeah, I mean, Florida beats them at one, three, and six. Kessler is going to Kessler, but you know, again, that sixth spot in particular for this Tennessee team. Now, Cooser's still been really solid, although tough loss for her. Again, for them to lose three, four, and five against South Carolina, as well as doubles, is probably the most surprising thing. Although, again, that's a road match in the SEC, a must win almost for South Carolina and get and they get it. So that's why I go good win there. That's why I go good win Florida here as well, because again, that's a home match that you just got to win, especially after they drop a match that weekend to Georgia. Let's move on though. Washington. 4-0 win over Utah. Good win for the Huskies. Great win, right? Um, this was one that we had scheduled of these two kind of non-California Pac-12 teams flirting with a potential top 25, top 16 ranking. Utah just coming off of that you know, program first win over USC, and Utah knocks them off 4-0. So, I mean, Washington knocks them off 4-0. Impressive yeah. win. 
No, and again, I still want to know how real is the youth success in both the men's and women's side? Still too soon to tell. So we'll put a pin on that discussion, bring it back another week. Let's talk some upsets. Missouri, 4-3 over Kentucky. Now, this is a bad loss for Kentucky, especially because they take doubles and three first sets. But it's also an exceptional win for Missouri, who needed it, who get it, and we are a glass-half-full sort of program. So I'm going good win here, Jay. That said, and again, it was Edis, the freshman at six for Kentucky. That happens. That's why I want to go good win here, because, like, Tigers, let's go. (laughs) I mean, and it was at Kentucky, right? So this was a road win for Missouri. This was a huge win for them. This is a team that went one in, they won one match in the SEC last year. And to knock off Kentucky on the road, Kentucky, who's looked pretty solid to start the season. But that has had a brutal start to their SEC season. Yeah. Uh, tale of two seasons right now for yeah. Kentucky. But um, I mean, just a great uh, program defining victory as they try and still kind of weasel their way into the SEC more. Yeah, I agree. We also had Arkansas 6-1 over Kentucky. I think that's a good win for Arkansas because, again, that what that shows me, yes, Kentucky's had it tough of late, but Arkansas is an NCAA team. Like, I have no doubts in my head about the Razorbacks uh, at this point. Win at Vanderbilt to beat Kentucky. They're just in there. They're, they've earned it. Now, I, I would imagine you agree. Sorry. I do. Yeah. yeah. And so with that in mind, Clemson, 4-3 over Notre Dame. This is the one where with all the momentum Notre Dame has built and they've worked their way into, you know, the top 35 of the ITA rankings, no disrespect to Clemson. This one hurts for the fight in Irish. Huge, right? I mean, they hit a brick wall this weekend, both against Clemson and Georgia Tech. Yeah, The Georgia Tech one you can write off a bit, but like you can't write this one off. No, and they Notre Dame has looked really good. They really pushed uh, UNC in particular. I thought um, this is a surprising loss. Big upset for Clemson. Um, you know, but a little bit drop back to the drawing board for Notre Dame, who I believe still has a, a Florida road test ahead of them, where they go, I believe, to Miami and Florida State. That's going to be a t- tough matchup for them. So they were, you know, optimistic for kind of that middle upper tier in the uh, in the ACC, and and now I'm not. Not so sure that that's going to be where they fall after these two losses. ACC continues to be fascinating. Duke, Virginia, NC State, North Carolina at the top. But then just again, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame's of the world. Everyone in between. Louisville's pretty solid also. Plenty to watch for. Let's talk about our other, you know, there are two undefeated teams in the country. North Carolina at number one. We all know about that. Iowa State, who we don't know. They didn't lose the kickoff weekend. They just didn't win it because they couldn't play it because obviously they unfortunately uh, COVID on the team. They just weren't able to travel to NC state. I know that's a matchup they were looking forward to. And obviously we didn't get the chance to see the cyclones there, but they had the best fall in program history. Now they knock off Wisconsin 4-0. They knock off Memphis 4-2. They're up to number 20 before the start of big 12 play. Tier four in the Big 12, because we said tier one's Oklahoma, tier two, Texas, tier three, Oklahoma State. I would put Oklahoma State tier two and a half, because I think tier three is where Iowa State resides. And I think that's where the Baylors and the Texas Techs and the Kansases of the world all live. I think Iowa State, though, might be able to make a push towards that tier two and a half and be closer to the top 16 seeds than they are to being a three or a four seed come the NCAA tournament. Good win for the Cyclones, in my opinion, over both Wisconsin and Memphis. 
Yeah, and just the scoreline with Wisconsin as well, right? To knock them out 4-0. This Wisconsin team that has been tested because they were able to play indoors. They're looking really good. I'm fascinated to see how things turn up in the Big 12 for Iowa State. Go ahead. No, one really good note from Scotty B in the chat, and I appreciate Mm. it. He says he's not sold. They've played zero top 35 opponents so far. Well, Wisconsin's pretty close to a top 35 opponent. Memphis is pretty close to a top 35 opponent and they get comfortable victories over both of them. Now I do think that's a good point by Scotty B, but I think that gets back to your point, which is why big 12 season is so fascinating. Yeah. Which is why we'll talk about that on the the week ahead, right? Because they're going to get tested against top 35 teams. So, um, you know, look, this is what they had to do a little bit to make up for the fact that they didn't get to play indoors. And so, they have done what they have needed to do, and they will get plenty of top 35 teams as they head into Big 12 play. Boomer's undefeated. Go Boomer, uh, obviously, and we're not talking about the Sooners. We're talking about the Cyclones here. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. It, a really good start for this Iowa State uh, season. Two good wins for them over both Wisconsin and I think for Iowa State over Memphis as well. That qualifies as a good win for the Cyclones. Georgia Tech, fifth straight win. They knock off Notre Dame for 6-1. We talked about this briefly. I think we agree that's a good – well, it was a tough loss for the Irish, a good win for Georgia Tech, certainly, so we can lock that one in. As you look at their matchup, 5-2 over Louisville. It's a good win for Georgia Tech, but I also think it's a good loss for Louisville. Like Louisville's pretty solid this year. Yeah, I mean, up and down the lineup, they've been able to field some tough yeah. matches. Um, Georgia Tech is another team that like has a ton of interesting pieces. And they've moved a ton of players around, and it's good to see them start to find their footing, if you will, going into some of their tougher ACC matches. So just to have five straight wins, feeling confident, and Louisville is going to be a good test for for anyone in the ACC. Yeah, no, it, it, I agree with you. I, there, it's just not a match off. Absolutely, they're going to sneak no. up on someone, and it's going to be like four three against Duke at home or something crazy like that. And so, just we are keeping our eye on you, Louisville Cardinals, and <laughs> Super Producer Daniel Westoff, who uh, obviously we're really hoping there's an Elite Eight battle between the Louisville Cardinals and my Michigan Wolverines in the NCAA Women's Tournament for basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see if it can happen. Perhaps you know, again, work something up here. I filled out excited. my bra- I filled out my bracket. You did. You just want the free merch. Let's be honest. No, you just don't want me to win. We can really be honest here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That was the call to action that really resonated with me. Yeah. Well, I want you to know my Michigan pick. uh, I think my men's pick has Michigan going to the final four and my women's because I was like, that's all I care about. If Michigan wins and I'm right, that would be way more fun. Uh, As we look over there, by the way, 4-0 incorrect, 4-3 for Iowa State in the end over Wisconsin. 4-2 against Memphis. But I think it was 4-0 at the clinch. 4-0 clinch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's move elsewhere. We're going to rapid fire through some of these. Michigan against Columbia. I love you, Wolverines. I might actually put this under bad win as opposed to any other category. Like it is a good win because they drop doubles and they drop three first sets and they managed to come back. And ultimately Julia Fliegner, you know, they take five wins in singles and Cara Miller, Cari Miller comes back at one. Fliegner comes back. Serdan comes back. Ultimately, it was a good win for Michigan. But it was almost very close to being a very bad loss. Yeah, we'll call it a, a scrappy win. Yeah. Uh, maybe not a bad win, but a scrappy one, certainly. Um, but look, this stuff happens, right? We saw this happen to North Carolina um, earlier in the season where they dropped doubles for first sets. So, look, it would be horrible if they lost. They didn't, you know, right the ship and ultimately they escape. 
without three of four of who Howard Schwetz and Freeman, Columbia is going to beat Princeton. That's my hot take. If they don't have three of four, if they're missing two of those four players, Columbia will beat them. We'll go tentative good win for Michigan. Baylor, 7-0 over Texas Tech. Bears are back. That's a good win. And again, they lost to a Miami team on kickoff weekend that we now know is yep. a top 16 Miami team or top 20 I think 20 they're top 10 this week. Yeah, those computer, we're talking about our rankings. Oh, okay. The real rankings here. Got it. Yeah, um, sure. Yes, they will be top 10 computer. And I, the point being, we know how good Miami is. Now. Yes. I think I... Maybe I overstated te- how good Texas Tech was, but I think this is a good win because I I do think Texas Tech is good, and Baylor gave it to them. Yeah, I mean, if anything, it's the closer than the seven zero, but still seven up. Yeah, if anything, it's more the score line that you look and go, oh, that's a good win for Baylor. Uh, you would expect them to win this match. Texas Tech has struggled a little bit. I think we were higher on them earlier in the season, but ultimately, it's been a up and down season for Baylor. They've had some injuries. They've had shifts in that top of the lineup and hopefully they can settle in here um, as they really kick off big 12 season. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Next match, LSU, Mississippi state, LSU wins four one light them both up West off. This is a good win. It's also a bad loss. LSU has had six players in like two matches this season. If you're Mississippi state, you just can't lose this match. And they did. And it's a credit to LSU. That's why it's a good win because they, if you were going to look in the dictionary right now at the word adversity, it would just say LSU women's tennis. Like that would be your definition right now. Everything they've gone through here this season, everything they've gone to over the past 18 months. And a lot of that has to do with things off the court. That is a whole other podcast for us for a different time. That's why it's a good win. But if you're Mississippi State, you just can't lose this one. Yeah, I mean, they've what had a few matches with six players. This happened to be one of them, um, although they retired at six singles. So they yeah, basically only had five singles players. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been a it's been a terrible season for LSU so far. And they, and they have not- took doubles, I think, against Mississippi as well. And that's without a three doubles team. And like they almost pulled whoever they played on Friday. I forget who it was, but it was nearly a double weekend coup. Yeah. And look, they have talented players on this, you know, roster, you know, like uh, Taylor Bridges and Carrington. Exactly. And so they have pieces and, you know, that's where a lot of their wins came from against That's where their four wins came from essentially against Mississippi state. But I think you're right. If you're Mississippi state, who is a better team than their ranking would indicate, this is a match you need to say, look, we're taking doubles and we're sweeping the bottom three and we're going to be competitive at the top three as well. So, I mean, light yeah. them both up. Yeah, You're fair. exactly. Light them both up. All right. Rapid fire down the end here. SMU Tulsa, 5-2 SMU. I say good win just simply for NCAA purposes. It hurts Tulsa, but that's huge for the Mustangs. Huge for SMU, disappointing loss, I would say, for Tulsa. Yeah, I agree. Not bad, disappointing, not a category. Do you know, super producer Daniel Westhoff and I, I had a, what if I said, I was like, what if we did impressive win and disappointing loss? And he goes, Alex, that is literally just the same thing. I was like, yeah, (laughs) but doesn't it sound way better? And he's like, no, you're an idiot. I was like, all right, fair. That's why you're the producer. True story. He can confirm. Um, All right. Sometimes I make up those stories. That one's not made up. (laughs) That's a real one that happened. Um, All right. Rice for over Charlotte. Again, same thing. This is an impressive win and a disappointing loss. I would say more. I would lean more though. Good win rice. I would agree with that one. Yeah. So, well, yeah, only good win rice here. We talked about this one. 
Arkansas 4-3 at Vandy. It's a great win for Coach Sanchez-Quintanar to kick off her tenure at Arkansas. And again, this is an Arkansas team that had a coaching change, not because of the results on the court. Um, I don't know, though. Like, Vanderbilt, ooh, like this one hurt. Especially because I think they won five first sets in singles. Four or five. Yeah, this this one felt like it got away from them. Um, look, the past few weekends have hurt for Vanderbilt. Definitely a good win for Arkansas. Vanderbilt is still going to be tough sledding because they have a lot of these top SEC teams still on the on the docket. So this was one that they really wanted to have. Yeah, no, again, tough loss ultimately for Vanderbilt, but better win uh, here for Arkansas. Well, with all of that said... That's week eight, or what we're calling week eight, of the 2022 Division I women's college tennis season. Of course, for all the results, there are a couple places you can look. We turn here to our friend Chris Haliorris' website. You can look at the week behind on the College Tennis Ranks website. You can find all of the rankings. You can find Jay's live top 25 rankings on the website as well. You can play around with the computer rankings, do all these cool, cool sorts of things. The what you if calculator can- is your friend. Yeah, exactly. Friends, not food. Um, Although sometimes that is my meal for the day. With that said, let's talk about our Crack Rackets top 10 rankings. And again, we promised we'll expand to a top 16 come April 1st. For now, we lock in on the top 10. We did this, I want to say, before Georgia beat Ohio State. These rankings were locked in again based on the Tuesday poll. Not We didn't do them before this show here today. As such, North Carolina, Oklahoma, NC State, Ohio State, Pepperdine remain your top five. After that, it goes Virginia six, Duke seven. Of course, Duke did beat Virginia four, three. I think that's a J thing, not a me thing. We can talk about it in a second. Pretty equal there, though. Stanford eight, who beat Texas at nine. A&M's at 10 because I have A&M ranked higher than you do. Georgia, I'm, I'm sorry for giving it away. Georgia was your number 10 team. And obviously, if I could go back, I'd probably. Well, that's the thing. So here's my question to you this week. Beyond the directionality, the rankings, because I think we both agree this is about right. Yeah. If you were going to put Georgia in, who are you dropping off? Is it A&M because they don't have a signature win? Um, well, why don't I just tell you? Yeah, well, I know because I know it's Georgia you have above AM. That is your answer right. right now. So, but I'm saying you now know Georgia beats Ohio State. And I like to think I did some talking you into Texas AM throughout the course of this podcast. With that said, if I gave you a second crack at the top 10 right now, would you just straight up replace Georgia, Texas AM and, you know, move everyone down? Well, I think the better question is how high up do you move Georgia? That's a good question. Right. And where do you Virginia. move? Yeah. And where they do you probably move? Probably go Ohio around State. eight. They're probably around number eight. And I probably move Ohio State now down below Duke. Yeah, I would go. Ooh. Yeah. Maybe Ohio Georgia seven, Ohio State eight. Yeah, I would move I keep Pepperdine, Virginia, Duke, and then I'd probably slot in Georgia. Because Pepperdine, Ohio Virginia, Duke, Ohio State, they all have beaten each other, right? And yeah. It's yeah. just like Keeping yeah. Pepperdine up there now gets a little bit tougher. Yeah, but that's where that's where the break would come for me is yeah. the Texas and Texas A&M. Yeah. And then and everybody so else yeah. slides up. Yeah, but again, Texas falling out of the top 10 or Texas A&M falling out of right. the top 10 right now. But I think there are where... 11 teams, though. Like, I don't I think all those teams, Georgia would be the 11th after them. 
you know, Auburn's really good. Michigan's really good. All those teams are very good. But I think right now there are 11 schools still on my list because I like to cross off throughout the course of the year, right? If I was doing cross-offs for who can still win a national title in my mind, I think I've got 11 teams. Could Cal be 12? Two drinks in me, I'd say yes. Could Michigan be 13? Four drinks in me, I will say yes. Um, I would say that, yeah, those are, those are my 11. I'd be like, that's the 11 right now who are a little, and Cal 12 who are a little bit above everyone else. That's a good question. Yeah, that's what we do here. This is why women's tennis this season is way more exciting than men's. In my I don't opinion. know, because I think we're at five right now for the men, maybe six on the right day again. You just said 13. No, that's for the women. I know. 13 yeah, but- is bigger than five. Yeah, but five's really fun, too, because it's a little less stressful. Where you're like, okay, let me lock in here. Like, why has Baylor not clicked the way we've all expected them to click? Versus, like, I don't know what's up. Like, you got to follow. It's just harder to follow more teams. Yeah. No, it absolutely is. And I'm hoping that we'll get clarity as the season, as the matches continue. I don't know if we will. Like, North Carolina can sweep the ACC season, sweep the ACC championship, and yet those matches are going to be 4-1 or 4-2 or 4-3. And Darren Bolton on the comments, who I appreciate, says, you have been drinking. I have not been drinking. Never drink before a show. I've tried that before. It didn't work. Never again. Um, yeah. By the way, with Dalton's approval, let me be clear. It wasn't like innocuous drinking on the job. We were, I think, at a tournament or something. and we wondered, well, I'm not explaining this story. The point being. I don't know. Like, oh yeah, the tort video too. Good call, West off. Um, but that was shot for shot. A uh, soon quickly retired uh, crack racket series we attempted. Um, I don't know. Like, I, 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 I like. I can't cross off any. Like, even if North Carolina ran the table, I still would feel on the right day. Like, yeah, but Pepperdine could beat him. Oklahoma oh. could beat him. NC State could beat him. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's the UNC will forever have an asterisk until they win an NCAA title. I think we will get clarity on, See, you know. But now I get to say my favorite thing. They wouldn't have had an asterisk in 2020. They were that much better than the rest of the field. And I think going into last season, I felt that way about them, Pepperdine, and Texas. And I would have said UCLA because I was in trans, you know, I just thought that top three, give me them on the right day. And they obviously lose four, three to Pepperdine. But like, I feel that same way though. Again, on the cross-off list, if you're on the cross-off list, I think you got a shot and there are 11 on the freaking cross-off list. All I'm saying is that that 11 will become closer to four, five, six after conference play. I don't know if it will though. Like, because I won't cross off Texas. I just won't. Even if Oklahoma sweeps them, I'm sorry. I'm not crossing off that team. Not when you have the core back that they do. Unless Virginia or Duke beats in North Carolina, but I'm not crossing off Duke. I'm not. I saw them at the NCAA tournament last year, Jay, where they were, I don't care what the scoreline was. They almost beat North Carolina. Like, and that nucleus is back. I'm not crossing off Virginia. I'm not. I refuse. I don't care. Like, I'm just not. And I, if Georgia beats AM 4-0 both times, maybe I'll cross them off. I like I what's the argument to a cross off? What's the scenario? Fine, if you lose five matches between now and May, I'll cross you off. But sure of that, like I there's no scenario for the cross off. There's so many reasons that we would cross teams off this list. There I don't could- give me some of them, please, because I'm having a hard time. Okay. Right now. All right. Uh Chervinsky never comes back for UVA. 
Cross them off. I cross them off. You're kidding. They played Duke really close, even without her. I know, but come on. I'm Navarro. Not them off. <laughs> okay. All I'm right. not because Navarro and Subash give you two points, like they can on the right day. And it's just like, what if they're both on fire and they're winning doubles and they're winning those two, and now you just need one freaking more. Like Odell can pull out one more. Munera can pull out one more. I'm not crossing them off, but go ahead. This is total stretch logic for like a NCAA championship team. You're right. They wouldn't be the favorite, but they're not crossed off. What is your definition of cross off? Someone who has like like a- You're not winning. It's just not happening. Like last year, Michigan going into the NCAA tournament, cross those bad boys off. I think Virginia was a year soon last year. So I had them crossed off. They were like a bubble team. I would have crossed off last year's Duke team. But again, here's why you can't cross them off is because none of these teams are definitively in the categories of the Pepperdine, the Texas's, the North Carolinas right now. Now, I just don't see a world where there can be a team that emerges on that tier. I guess that's my real problem is I don't have a favorite. So therefore I can't cross anyone off. Okay, I don't think you need a favorite to be able to cross to cross teams off. There is realistically going to be a handful of teams that will win this tournament. I mean, just look at last year's NCAA men's tournament. Florida ran away with that tournament and going into it, the Sweet 16, we were sitting there going. Well, no, they didn't. Tennessee beat them in the final. Of the NCAA final. But the NCAA championship, Florida ran away with the NCAA tournament. Oh, I heard SEC tournament. Sorry, not talking about SEC. Florida ran away with that NCAA tournament. They didn't lose a single singles point. Going into that event, 12 teams, 13 teams, who could win this? The answer is there's only going to be a handful of teams. It is never that large. It will not be that large this year. And we will learn more and more pieces, whether it's injuries, teams losing, you know, WTF, why can't they pull out five and six singles? There will be so many variables that when we record this podcast going into May, we're going to be talking about max five teams. All right. Well, we're doing this now in every ranking segment. We're doing the cross off list. I'm going to start doing it with the men as well. Is it fair to have 11 right now or 12? We'll throw Cal on that list. Can we have 12? (laughs) Uh, You can make your cross off list as large as you want. What's yours? What's yours? Ohio State is not winning the NCAA championship. This cross year. off the Buckeyes. You know what? That's 100%. not a horrible cross off. I'm actually closer probably to crossing them, but it's all road losses. Like, keep that in mind. For, you know, these are all road losses. But the sure. best thing Ohio State has going for them is that it's at Illinois and we might play that whole thing indoors. <laughs> um, Which apparently we learned didn't matter today, but go on. Yeah. Um, Virginia, uh, no, sorry, Stanford, they're not winning this. Duke, not winning this. Cal is definitely not winning this. Yeah, there. That's a little generous. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, my list is one, two, three: North Carolina, Oklahoma, NC State, Pepperdine, Virginia, Texas, Georgia. I'm going to stop there. No A and M, interessante. So that's what seven schools, eight schools. All right. Still a sizable list. Of course. That might be a premature cutting of the Buckeyes. Got it, Coach Shop. Cut the, cut the clip. I'm going to send it to you, and that's the motivation for you and the team. But with that said, let's look at the week ahead. And, again, these teams going to have the chance to continue to distinguish themselves from the rest of the field. As we look at the week ahead, and I apologize, I'm looking down because I'm looking at the iPad here for the schedule. Obviously, we had the big matchup today. 
Tulsa at Oklahoma is a matchup fun for everyone on Thursday. Auburn at Mississippi State, Vanderbilt at AM, Florida State at Virginia, Utah at Cal, Baylor at Iowa State, Wake Forest at Georgia Tech. You know, that's just a sampling of your Friday matches. Saturday, USC at Pepperdine, Georgia at Tennessee, Wisconsin at Northwestern, particularly fun as well. Sunday, Ohio State at Nebraska, NC State at Georgia Tech, Texas at Iowa State. I bet we see a no ad, no problem blog on that match from one John J. Parsons. You know, a, a Furman at Charlotte's fun. Arizona State at Oregon's fun. What are you watching most closely? Yeah, that was a lot of schools, a lot of matches. I'll yeah. break it down for you. Here's what you should be paying attention to. We talked about the SEC. That was today's match. Big 12, Scotty B brought this up. They haven't played top 35 teams yet. They do this weekend. They play they Baylor. Iowa State. Iowa State, correct. They play Baylor and Texas, both at home. So not only do they get you know the test, but they're also at home. It's an advantage Iowa State. Really interested to see how they, um, how they fend in that match. My undercard is, do you like the undercard, by the way? More than anything in the okay. world, Jay. My, my Big 12 undercard is Oklahoma State at UCF. Everyone is going to Lake Nona this year. It's a great test for Oklahoma State on the road, outdoors. And they've won 10 straight matches. So they're putting that record to the test. That's the undercard, folks. I do like it. Sorry, go on. <laughs> ACC, don't have an undercard here for you. Just the match of the week. Miami at Virginia. Virginia needs to win this to stay in that ACC top four conversation. We talked about her before. Is Stravinsky healthy? We'll find out. She was absent during their North Carolina swing. So that's it's going to be a big victory, big ranking points on the line. Yeah. Out West. Oh, anything top on? eight implications as well there. Because if Miami gets the win, now it's like, whoa, that's one. Can we knock off an NC State? Can we knock off something? If we can do yeah. our UNC, excuse me, because I think they already played NC State. Uh, in the thriller we saw last week. But if they yep. can do that, now it's a new ball game. 100%. And it makes that conversation for three, four, five in the ACC that much interesting, more interesting. All right. Um, undercard in the ACC, Georgia Tech's home matches. We talked about them, five straight wins. They're playing Wake and NC State. If they go one and one this weekend. It's a great weekend for Georgia Tech. Out West, you mentioned this one, USC at Pepperdine. Quickly, that's a match Wake has to win if they want to be a top 16 seed. Sorry, has go to. on. Has to and, and stay in the top of the ACC. Yeah. Um, out West, USC versus Pepperdine. Mm-hmm. We just talked about the rebirth of this USC team. Pepperdine was without Fukuda and Pachkaleva in their latest matches. TBD. Think Pepperdine would be down for a rebirth. Do you think if you ask Pear, hey, you can restart the season. Your team knows everything they know, but you get to restart. Would you do it? Would you be like, yes? Or no, you wipe the memory clean and just restart. I mean, nothing has really changed, right? Like they're still in the conversation. It's not like they've sure. been eliminated from winning the NCAA. So like the restart can start every day is a restart for them. Oh, that's someone's been reading the books. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So excited to see that one. Uh, particularly just top of the lineup if USC can flex their muscle there. If Pepperdine doesn't have Fukuda, that is um, going to be a big match. And then lastly, go to the Big Ten. Super curious to see Wisconsin at Northwestern. Um, you know, those are two top 40-ish teams, bubble teams. This match to me has 4-3 written all over it. So I'll be curious to see who comes out alive there. 
going to be another really fun weekend of action. And of course, we've got action for all of you here at Crack Rackets, our SEC. No longer red zone. That's right, folks. It's a cross-court cast. We've got our SEC cross-court cast. Ignore what it says on the graphics there, folks. It's going to be a cross-court cast moving forward. And you look across the board here today. Again, we've got, what, I think 11 matches for you on Friday. It starts at noon. LSU taking on the Kentucky women. Going to end with a little Arkansas, South Carolina, and M Vanderbilt doubleheader at 6 p.m. as well. We'll cover all of that action on the various team websites uh, on Friday. Of course, on Sunday, we'll have our Big Ten cross-court cast as well as we rebrand here. Try to make it more tennis-specific for all of you. But again, broadcast Friday and Sunday, SEC Friday, Big Ten Sunday. Of course, we will have our episode of The Deciding Point talking all things men's college tennis tomorrow night here, 7 p.m. Eastern time. With all of that said, huge shout out to our friends at Swing Vision. And remember, artificial intelligence for your tennis. You can learn more about them by clicking on the link in the description to this show. You use our promo code CRACK20. You'll get $20 off your order plus 14-day free pro trial. Of course, shout out to our friends at Turna as well. Learn more about them by contacting sales at uniquesports.com. With all of that said, Jay, any final thoughts on this past week, week ahead in women's college tennis? I have one. And like it's it. a it's a plug for the SEC cross court cast cast. And if you're not checking that out on Friday afternoons, that like post work, pre dinner time, pre going out time, things get very funky on the SEC cross court cast. They did last weekend. It was a delight. So I highly recommend people tune in those Friday afternoons. Uh, Going to stay funky. I so I appreciate you saying that. We had a long Crack Rackets meeting here today at HQ, including Dalton Thieneman, who made the trip over here to New Pal to chat with Westoff and I about the broadcast. It's always good to get a third-party perspective. Not too chaotic. It gets the job done. I didn't say it wasn't chaotic. I just yeah, said- but, that's, but I'm saying it's not too chaotic. It's the right sort of chaos. It's on court chaos that I'm referring to that the SEC, these SEC matches get funky. We saw it in the Tennessee match on Friday was glad to have witnessed it. I think it's going to be an entertaining show for the next few weeks. That's what I like to hear. Well, with all of that said again, Friday, SEC, Sunday, big 10, Hope you all tune in. Hope you tune in tomorrow night as well. And of course, for all of your content needs, Indian Wells, college, juniors, you name it, we got you covered on our website, crackrackets.com. But with all that said, for the fantastic John Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Swing Vision and Turnham, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell the people? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thank you as always, my friend. 